we started to dig into the subject that I believe is the most absolutely important, crucial, vital subject of all subjects. It is Jesus' promise to the disciples, to his church from that time to the end of times. Jesus promised to send the comforter. The gift that Ellen White says is the most essential gift for the church. And she says there is no greater gift that God could have given us. This is amazing. Basically, <clears throat> the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ are the two gifts. The Bible says that he has given gifts, plural. And what are those gifts? Jesus Christ, there was nothing God could have given more, and the Holy Spirit. By giving Jesus and the Holy Spirit, God gave himself for us. And we said last night, and I am trying, I'm, I'm not determined, should I continue from this morning and from last night? But we said last night a few essential things, and I want you to remember. Number one, the disciples gathered in the upper room because they were afraid. The Bible says that, and the Spirit of Prophecy says they were afraid of the Pharisees. And they prayed in the beginning that God would protect them and so on and so forth. But then they remembered Jesus' command that was to... Jesus commanded them, and I says, she says, they obeyed, I gave you the quotation last night, obeyed the command, they didn't leave, Jesus said, do not leave, but wait in the city, that was a command, was not a suggestion, do not leave, though he told them, go, he said, yet, not yet, wait in the city and pray, that was a command, and they obeyed that command, they gathered in the upper room and prayed together, pray for the promise, of the comforter. They prayed, and Jesus told them how long to pray. How many days did he say? Until. He said, pray, and pray, and pray, and pray, until you receive the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you shall receive power. Then go. And we said that from the spirit of prophecy, and I do have the quotations, they, as they remember Jesus' command and started to pray, the more they prayed, the more closer they got to God. The closer they got to God, the closer they got to one another. The more they prayed, they united with God and one another. As they united, all strife, all dissensions, all uh, desire for who should be first, who should be second, all that stuff disappeared. They became one in perfect unity. And that was the key. Elena says, before we are one, we will never receive the Holy Spirit. They be, that's Jesus' prayer, to be one. They became one in perfect unity. Not only that they became one, but very interesting, they switched prayer. Instead of praying for themselves, for protection, for help, for blessings, they gave up self and started to pray for God, for his honor, for his work, for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And she says here that as they did that, the Holy Spirit came more and more and more and took over them and illuminated their mind. And then she says something very interesting. Listen carefully. They humbled themselves. I want you to listen to these steps. They humbled themselves. So before that, what did they, they prayed for the Holy Spirit. They became one. But now listen carefully. They humble themselves. I pause because I want you to remember. It seems that it's simple. But I tell you, I really don't like to humble myself. I could humble you, but not me. <laughs> they humble themselves. That's one of the biggest wars in our life. The reason we have arguments is because you don't like to be humble. Period. So they humble themselves. She says they confess their sins to God and to one another and solve their problems that were between them. Not only that they humble, confessed, and prayed, but they repeated, she says, I want you to grasp this, Jesus' teachings and the prophecies. What prophecies? The Old Testament referring to Jesus as Messiah. They repeated Jesus' teachings, they rehearsed Jesus' teachings and the prophecies. And they finally, she says, they, wow, they hit that wow moment. He is the one who split the sea. He's the one who got us out of Egypt. He's the one who gave the law on Sinai. He's the one, the, the, the pillar of fire, the, the cloud. He is the one who split Jordan. He is the one who gave us Jericho. He is the one who gave us manna. He is God. 
He's the most holy, the creator, the one that angels worship, the, 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 the righteous. He's God. And we didn't process. He walked with us. God walked with me next to me. We ate together and we didn't process. Isn't that quite big? They process. He is the, pro- he is the lamb that we have been sacrificing for so many years in the sanctuary. He is God, the, the weighted Messiah. God with us. And then they processed. He died for my sins. God came here and suffered and was ridiculed and was mocked and was beaten on us. He took all the sins of the whole history, the most horrendous sins, and he put them on his back on the cross. And he died so I don't have to die. He, God, died for me. Who am I? Who am I that God would die for me? Who are you that God would die for you? Isn't that quite big? Beyond human... Elena says that in eternity, we will never, ever, ever fully, not even in heaven, understand a drop of God's love. Angels cannot understand God's love. Moreover, our limited small mind. That would be, she says, the science. You remember the quotation? We will never fully grasp. And she says, the more we will try to understand, the more overwhelmed we will be and be ashamed that we didn't trust him. If God would open our eyes for a second, we'll be ashamed of ourselves that we don't trust him. Because there is no greater love in the universe. And we don't even grasp a drop of his ocean of love. And so, they, she says, as they spend time in prayer and humble themselves and repeated Jesus' teachings and the prophecy, realize that he's God, realize that God died for them. God died for you. God died for me. And as they process that, she said, they were totally, absolutely melted. Over God's love compels us. Overwhelmed. They were just, just collapsed. They dropped. And she says that their hearts were so filled, so filled with God's love that she says in that moment, they forgot themselves, didn't care that they live or die. They knew that they will die, but they didn't care. They went out preaching the best ever news in the history, the gospel. God loves you to the degree that he died for you. There is nothing better. There is nothing that you can say that would ever change anybody. And, and they preached the good news knowing that they will pay with their life and not caring, in fact, did it joyfully. If God died for me, I'm happy to die for him. And they rejoiced while dying for him as a privilege. So let me tell you, if you are sad, and we are quite often, myself too. My wife had an accident a few days ago. She fell on some stairs and broke Disc number five. And she's in extreme pain right now. And the doctor said it's a miracle that she didn't die or get paralyzed. Anyway, I was so frustrated with God because that was right before going to Indonesia. And they, were, they announced, they were waiting for me, they had the meeting, the ministerial meeting, and so on and so forth. I had to cancel it. I was so frustrated. I was almost ready to cancel this trip. But my kids and my wife said, no, 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 go, it's God's work. The kids said, we'll take care of her, go. I was frustrated, and while I trust God, I was like, why? And so, man, this light is strong. (laughs) It's okay. We'll forgive you. (laughs) So, So, we say it. We say it, we trust God. But it's something to say it, and something else to go through it and still rejoice? Are you crazy? How can you rejoice in pain? You follow me? Rejoice always in the Lord. And again I say rejoice, rejoice always. And again I say rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Amen to that. So listen, folks. If you don't rejoice, if you don't rejoice, that means that while you come to church, what is wonderful, you keep Sabbath, what is absolutely wonderful, you should, you still didn't get, you still didn't get the cross. Because when you get the cross, nothing you go through would disturb your joy. 
Because that's so big that these things pale. Do you follow me? That's so big that these things are not worth to even be thought about. You understand? That's the reason the Bible says in Isaiah, you keep him in perfect peace. He is him whose mind stay fixed. It says in Hebrew, on you. You don't take your eyes off him and then you have peace. And so let me give you a story as we start. This was the introduction. Let me give you a story. I told you last night about my father and the mayor that gave the order for my father to be executed and then the mayor died in that a few minutes. You remember the story? Okay. Many times my father was taken to the police station, many times, uncounted times. Many times the police came to our house. I remember one time my father brought for many years, I don't know, 10, 15, 20 years, God knows, like every other week or twice a month or whatever, Bibles from former Yugoslavia to Romania. And he had a guy that, by the way, I met in September. Now he is old and he says, you remember me? I said, yes, you used to be young. He said, you too. (laughs) And my father would go to former Yugoslavia and he or that guy, one of the two, they had welded double bottom, double floor to the car, and they would hide Bibles between the two floors and bring them to Romania. That was against the law. You'll be caught, you'll go to prison for the rest of your life. Beaten, tortured, eventually killed. And so, my father would bring Bibles, and during the night, spread them to the city, and spread them to the country, and so on and so forth. I remember one instance when the Bibles were in our living room. Our living room was quite small, and the Bibles were like, I don't know, 40 boxes or something. I don't know how many. I don't remember. It was just like a pile like that in the middle of the living room. And the police knocked in the door and my mom started to cry. And she says, that's it. We are done. And my father said, come on, we have a God. And God is real. I mean, he came down and walked with the three young men physically present in the fire. If you have a God... You have no fear. If you have fear, you have no God. Because if God is real and he, God, God is with you, who can be against you? And if God allows you to suffer, he may have a purpose. So why would you complain? Why would you ask him to remove what he planned for you? Do you know better than him? And so my father said, rejoice. My father went to the door, opened the door, three police officers. We got a tip that you have Bibles. Do you have Bibles? And my father I would have said no. <laughs> My father would never compromise. Never lie. Never. It's better to just keep quiet than to lie. And my father looked at them and says, what is your job? I am a police officer. Then why do you ask me if I have Bibles? If I tell you I do your job, I should get your salary. Come in and check. <laughs> and they look to each other. They say he's not afraid. Obviously, he doesn't have Bibles. Let's go. And they left. <laughs> They came two weeks later. Again, we had Bibles. It was one church member, one brother that would follow my father in in Serbia and would call the police and he would be paid by the police. I saw him. He loaded so many boxes of Bibles. And they would come. And we knew who. My father told us, be careful. He's a Judas. And And so the police came two weeks later. We got a tip. You got Bibles tonight again. It was in the middle of the night. My father tried the same trick. He didn't work. <laughs> he said, you want to check? Come in. They said, we will. And they just came in. We froze. Our hearts dropped. And so where I'm, where I'm going with this? You got to listen carefully. So not the miracle, but what happened after. They came, they searched the house, they turned the mattress upside down, they searched the closets, and they would go around the boxes and go and check and go around the boxes and go and check. And after three, four hours, they say, there is nothing in this house, and they left. (laughs) Absolutely, like people around, around Lot's house in Sodom and Gomorrah, absolutely blind to the obvious boxes in the living room. And I would tell my father, this is amazing how God works for you. And my father would say, you don't know Jesus, son. I said, why? He said, this is not the point. Christians live to see a miracle. Christians look for miracles. And my father told me that story. 
He says in the Bible, he says that people came to Jesus and there were two groups, the Bible says. His disciples and others from Jerusalem. His disciples and others. Others from Jerusalem were God's people. So his disciples and his people. What's the difference between the two? His disciples and his people. And Ellen Wright says his disciples followed him everywhere. The rest of his people just came to be fed, to be healed, to see a miracle. His disciples were ready to die for him. The other people were ready to be healed by him. Do you follow me? His disciples, what are you here for? And my father said to me, oh, son, you don't get it. You go to church to get an answer to prayer, to get a miracle, to get a blessing, to get help with your school, to get help with... I don't go to church for that. I go to church to meet God. If God was broken and poor, he didn't have anything, no eternal life, no blessings, no nothing, I would still love him because he loved me. My father said, I don't need heaven. I just need Jesus. Wherever he is, I want to be. If he's on the cross, I want to be next to him. And my father said, I'm not looking for a miracle. I am looking to serve him and joyfully die for him. I, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And so... Years, years passed by, miracle after miracle, years passed by. Eventually, they took him to the police station and they said, and that was like 20 years later, they said, you just don't stop, do you? And my father said, no, as long as I live, I don't. <laughs> and they said, we are going to take your house. My father said, I gave it away. We are going to take your salary. I give it all to the church, 90% tight. My father gave 90% tight and kept 10% in the house. He said, I give it all. There is no money to take from me. Oh, we are going to put you in prison. Praise the Lord, I'm going to preach in prison. <laughs> we are going to kill you. Praise the Lord, I will see Jesus. <laughs> and they said, what should they do? And they talked and they said, you know, if we kill him, the whole city knows this guy. We are going to make him a martyr. We need to stop him somehow in a quiet way that nobody knows. So they put him in a room, closed the door, left. And he was the whole night by himself in the room. In the morning, they came dressed in white with a mask, opened the door, said, you can go home. He came home. A week later, he started to bleed from his mouth, from his ear, from his nose. He started to lose his hair, his nails. We took him to the doctor, and the doctor said, you have been irradiated. We, don't, we have no proof. We have no proof. God knows. The doctor said, you have lymphatic leukemia. You have been exposed to level, I don't remember, 10 or whatever of radiation, and your body shut down. Your spine stopped working, everything stopped working. And the doctor gave him two, three weeks. He lived another six months. I prayed like never before in my life. Lord, he is dead. He has done so much for you. I know you can heal him. I know you will heal him, please. And I prayed, and I prayed, and I prayed, and my father was singing and still bringing Bibles and still giving Bible studies and still doing everything for the church to the last moment of his life. And I remember when he died, we were around his bed. And I was, Lord, you can even resurrect him from the dead. You can heal him right now. And he put his hand and said, stop it, son. You still don't get it. He said, God heard you. If God wanted, it would have happened. If he doesn't want it, it's a privilege for me. He said, me? And then he said to me, I said, Dad, maybe because I don't have faith. And he said, son, it takes more faith not to see a miracle than to see a miracle. I said, not everybody has the privilege to suffer for God because they cannot take it. And he said, listen, my prayer is not that God will save my life. I am already in heaven. It's going to be a second for me. My prayer is that God is going to save at my funeral more than in my entire life. Even there, he didn't care for himself. And he prayed for us, he prayed for mom, he closed his eyes, he was gone. I got so angry with God, I didn't pray, I didn't go to church for several months, really frustrated. I got stomach pain, it's everything bad, you know. Until I started to understand. Folks, why do you go to prayer? Why do you go to church? Why do you study the Bible? What is your connection with God? Do you understand God's love? Are you ready to be? Jesus says to his, his disciples, you are my witnesses. That in Greek is martyrs. That means martyrs. You are my martyrs. Are you Jesus' martyr? Because if you came for a blessing, you'll never get a blessing. You can pray forever for a blessing. You'll never get one. The, the single blessing that God gave you is to suffer for him. 
to preach, to serve. And you are blessed only to the degree that you are ready to sacrifice self. I remember you probably heard me telling the story when I, I went to Cuba many, 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 many times. And in one of my trips, I was preaching and there were so many people in the church. I, I, I was in shock. I said, who in the world brought so many? Did you? I said to the pastor, invite them. He said, we invited, but not so many. I, to, I told them, did you put uh, flyers? No. How do they come? And they said, that lady. How many of you heard the story? That lady, that lady. I go and talk. What did you tell them? She says, Pastor, it's not what you tell, it's what you do. What did you do? I cannot tell you. Come and see. I said, okay. She says, tomorrow, two o'clock. I took the pastor, two o'clock, went to her. I have pictures. Her house is the smallest house I've seen in my lifetime. It's not a house. Her house was from this keyboard to here, from this to here, covered with rotten wood and, and rusted Still, you know, sheets, just, 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 my chicken coop is much better. And I mean that. And, and, and in that house, in that little house, there were two bunk beds for the children, for parents and grandparents, a little, little, little space that you would have to go this way between the bunk beds. In front, it was a round table with three legs. I've never seen that before. Three chairs with three legs each. And a little camping stove with a little propane tank like that. And that was it. <clears throat> at 2 o'clock in front of the house on dirt over 200, 250 I don't know, I didn't count them children came and she said sit down they all sat on dirt and then she got a big pot of rice and then she said show me the papers I said what papers and she says just wait and listen when they eat I'm going to explain so I was listening quiet she gave she took the papers and she gave rice, next one, next one, next one. Kids went on the dirt, they started to eat. And then she told me, she says, I am blessed. Have you seen, anybody has seen when you were a kid, Muppets? The Muppets in cartoons have a big mouth. And the mouth starts from ear to ear, you know? And when they talk, the whole head opens. <laughs> she was like a Muppet. She opened a big mouth, a big head I am blessed. I've never said that with my whole mind. I'm blessed. You know, I am blessed. And I was waiting to see, she has a Mercedes. She has a, you know, a big house. Why is she so blessed? And she says, I have a salary. I make $14 a month. I said, how much? She said, 14. I was a little in shock. And she says, the other neighbors don't have a job. And they go hungry for many days. So God gave me the blessing to share my salary to feed the neighborhood. And she says, but Jesus didn't come to give us this bread, but to give us the bread that you are not hungry again, the water that you are not thirsty again, because people don't live only with bread, but people live with the words of God. So God called us not only to feed people, but to save people. Jesus didn't come that we may have this life, but to have eternal life. That's the reason he paid on the cross. So she says, I want to use this bread to give them the spiritual bread, and I want to use them to feed the parents that would never come here. I want to reach the whole neighborhood. Jesus put me here not to have a house, but to save my neighbors, and I cannot lose one day. Amen. And she says, Jesus loves me so much that if, if I don't love my neighbors, actually, I will never really, truly love him. Because he died for my neighbors, she said. And she was preaching to me, and I was ashamed of myself, because I have literally three refrigerators, three vertical freezers, and one horizontal gigantic freezer, all together seven, packed that you cannot close the door. And I never say, I am blessed. You follow me? And she, she says, I use my $14 to feed the neighborhood, and I cannot afford to buy everything, but I can buy rice. And she says, how do I do it so I can preach to them, not only give them rice? And she says, I got a thought. I prayed, God gave me wisdom. Kids don't listen. They talk. So I told them, I want to make sure that you listen. So in order to make sure that you listen, you go home and tell your parents what I tell you. <laughs> and she says, I am using them to preach to the parents. The parents will never come or listen to me, but they have to listen to the kids so the kids can eat tomorrow. 
And she says, I teach them every day a Bible story and a song. And then I send them home. And if they remember the Bible story and the song and tell the parents, if the parents sign off on a piece of paper that the kids did tell them the story, then the kids can come back and eat again tomorrow. <laughs> and he says, this way, I not only feed them, but preach to them and they preach to the parents. And then she says, what a privilege, pastor, that God can use me to reach the whole neighborhood. So let me ask you a parenthesis in the story. Do you have tomatoes or do you, do you make a bread or some unhealthy cookies or something that you go to the neighbors? Because you should go to the neighbors and say, hey, I have some rice. I, have, I, I made some cookies. I cannot eat them alone. I want to share some cookies and I want to pray. Would you mind if I say a prayer for you quick? Why don't you do that? Oh, what if the neighbor gets upset? Who cares? Try it. We are more afraid to share than they are afraid to listen. People are stressed. We don't even know what they go through. And we don't go there to offer them a bread and a prayer. And we say that we love you. Oh, how I love Jesus. Really? Because First John chapter 4 says that if you don't love your neighbor, you don't love Jesus. And you are a liar and the love of God is not in you. So I don't care if you go to church and sing Kumbaya. If you don't reach your neighbor, you don't love Jesus. So pretty simple, isn't it? If you don't like it, don't call me back. And so, so listen, folks. This lady said to me, and God gave me the privilege to reach the neighbors. And she says, imagine, pastor, if only half of them will be in heaven. Who am I that God would use me to save my neighbors? And she says, that's what I live for. And she said, when these kids come to me and hug me, I am blessed and happy. And I said, how can I help you? I said, I don't have cash with me except a $50 bill. I want to give it to you. She looked to the money, opened a muppet's mouth, and she said, I've never seen so much money in my life. Take it back. I cannot accept it. I said, please take it. She said, no. God has blessed me. I have $14 a month. She didn't take it. I gave it to the treasurer. I said, buy whatever she needs for the kids. He said, well, they need songbooks. She writes the songs by hand and gives it to them. So I said, buy songbooks. I said, it's too much, $50. I said, it doesn't matter. Buy, you know, T-shirts or whatever they need, food. Do something. Folks, she was happy and blessed. And why was she blessed? Because the Bible says there is a greater blessing, blessing to give than to receive. God never put a blessing in asking to be blessed. God put a blessing when you bless somebody else. To the degree that you bless, to that degree you are blessed. God called you to serve. And if you really love Jesus and if you are filled with his presence, you serve. And you consider it a joy and a blessing and a privilege. And so... Listen, when my father died, I really didn't get it. But later I started to get it. He understood the cross. And that's the greatest possible science ever. And when you understand the cross, you happily go. You actually cannot help yourself. You go and you tell everybody and you bless everybody. And that makes the difference because in a selfish, self-centered society, when nobody cares for anybody, each one cares only for self, you are different. In a selfish, hateful society, you care for the neighbor to the degree that you sacrifice self. You work in unity, in love. You show Christ. Amen. And people look and say, there is something different about you. And that's what has power to transform the world. Remember the, the, the quotation, when Christ's character will be reproduced in his people. That's what actually, Ellen White says, and we probably don't get to the sermon anyway. She says that Christ's righteousness, his love, his sacrifice, when they will be properly understood, this message, it will illuminate the whole world and it will finish the work. And then she says, that's the third angel message. Now let me... Try to catch up. I don't know. Should we continue from last night? Let's go to slide number eight, if you don't mind. Slide number eight. Eight is after seven. <laughs> Sorry, folks. I joke too much. And so, people look here, but people never see there. 
the sound, the cameras, all this stuff, the internet, and they do as much work as I do. And so you should always praise God for them too. Yes. Praise the Lord. And so going back, listen carefully. The disciples finally got it. When the disciples got it, they were totally transformed. They were filled with love. They could not help themselves. They got this passion. They started to preach with boldness. And they were so filled with the Holy Spirit that they preached with power. And the Holy Spirit changed hearts. And now if we continue to move on this line, listen, the disciples did not read it. Did not did not ask a blessing for themselves. Hello? Don't you think that they had needs? Oh, yes. That they are so full, overwhelmed with God's love and love for people that they totally forgot their needs. When is the time when you go to prayer and you forget your needs because you are so passionate about others? That's real Christianity. Let's continue. I want you to pay attention. Listen. What happened? It didn't move. The Holy Spirit did for them what they could not have accomplished in a lifetime. That's what we need. I want to move fast, see how much we can cover. Probably we don't, but they remember the words of Christ. We talked about that. But listen, no toil was too hard, no sacrifice too great. Do you see the point? I want you to read this loud and clear. Everybody, let's do it. There is no... Please translate to me in English. What means no limit? What is the limit? Why do we have limits? Because we do have, we are quite limited, aren't we? There is no limit whatsoever for the one who gives up self. Listen carefully. Amaze room. There is no way for the Holy Spirit to take over you before you surrender self. We do sing, all to Jesus I, and we really hope that we don't have to surrender. And that's the reason God cannot work. When I was in Andrews University, I was fresh after coming from Romania. I spent one year in Southern, and then one year and 10 months in Andrews, graduated and done. And I... I was in the beginning. Finally, I got my first car. And my friend took me to auction. And I saw a Dodge Grand Caravan. And it had TV. Brother, right now it's not a big deal to have TV in the car. But in 1998, that was something. Big screen TV in my van, video games, lights, all the whistles and bells, and you know. And I said, I want that car. And my friend said, please stay away from that car. I said, no, I want that car. And it's cheap. He said, you should ask yourself, why is cheap? I said, I want the car. He said, well, my advice is no. I want it. Okay. I got the Dodge Grand Caravan. When you say Dodge, you say right away bad transmission, but I didn't know. <laughs> I went to the seminary. I drove in front of the seminary, not in the parking, in front of the building. I opened the door large and allowed the door open so the classmates would see the TV. <laughs> you know? And then I was so full, you know, of myself. I have a luxury van. I drove it like two weeks, and then I was driving, and the car got stuck in the second gear. It, it, would not, it would not go to the third, you know? 
uh, and I was driving on the interstate, and, and as I got on the interstate from the exit, uh, second gear, you know, like 20 miles per hour, and all the drivers got angry and showed me bad signs with their fingers, and I was like, it doesn't work. So I stopped on the shoulder, and I start, stopped it and turned it on again. Uh, 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 uh. Uh, I got angry, and I prayed, Lord, please heal my van. No healing happened. Lord, please, I pray for resurrection for the engine. Nothing happened. And, and so I got frustrated. I got angry. Oh, man, I lost my temper. I even hit the, the, the tire with my foot. My wife says, calm down, you are a pastor. I said, leave me alone, you know. <laughs> got home. I prayed. I even fasted. I never fast more than four hours at a time. But anyway, I even fasted for a whole day. Nothing happened because we use fasting as a hunger strike to make God hear our voice instead of using fasting to clear our minds so we hear God's voice. And so I even fasted to convince God to listen to my voice. Nothing happened. I had faith as we use faith to manipulate God instead of using faith to allow God to manipulate us when we don't understand what is going on. I used faith. Nothing happened. I got angry. I put the van in front of the shopping center, luxury van, Brad, big, big screen TV for sale. Nobody called. Like everybody knew that it has a bad transmission. Eventually, I went to the junkyard, purchased a transmission from a second-hand Dodge Grand Caravan. I paid $500. I paid one of my elders who was a mechanic, another $450. He fixed the transmission altogether, $950. Finally, fixed the van. I drove it about a month, and it broke again. I hated the van with my whole heart. <laughs> I prayed again. I didn't fast again. Nothing happened. I went again to the junkyard. I paid another 500, another transmission, another 450. This is the second time. Fixed it, didn't drive it, put it for sale. I dropped the price again and again and again. Nobody called. I got so frustrated. I got so upset. I spent $900 first time and $900 second time. Plus 4,500 when I purchased the van. I was like ready to kill somebody, you know. <laughs> Nobody called. I could not even sell the van. So I said, I'm going to drive the junk for another two weeks until it breaks and never buy a Dodge again. So I went to the church. It was right in that time when I finished school. Graduated my first district. I go to church. And I go Wednesday night to prayer meeting. And I tell them, you need to put God first. You need to fully surrender. You need to, and after I tell them, I said, you need to joyfully surrender all and trust God in all. And after I preach beautifully, you know, I get in my car, Lord, please sell the junk. Would you please sell the van? And God says, what did you preach? I said, I preached about surrender. Are you willing to surrender all? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Do you love me more than anything? Yes. Give me the van. I said, it's not Mercedes, it's a junk, you can have it. <laughs> and then I said, how much do you pay for it? <laughs> and God says, I asked you to surrender the van. But Jesus, I really need to drive something. Would you give me some money so I can buy something else? And God says, do you really love me more than the van? I said, yes, I just need some money. <laughs> he said, do you love me more than the van? And I said, yes. Do you trust me? I said, I, I want to. <laughs> do you trust me? And it came in my mind clearly, I died for you. I love you. Do you trust me? Yes. Because if you don't surrender, you don't trust me. I said, I do trust you. Then surrender the van. No questions. We have hard time to surrender a junk. And we say, oh, I love Jesus. Really? I said, okay, Jesus, you can have it for free. Be careful what you say. As soon as I said that, I got a phone call. I take my cell phone. And she says, Pastor, I said, yes, I'm not going to say her name. One of my church members, she's a nurse. Pastor, she, in that time when I was in that district. Pastor, do you still have that van? I said, yes. I want to buy it from you. I said, absolutely not. 
I want to sell it to a stranger. If I sell it to you, you'll hate me, never come to church again. <laughs> she says, Pastor, if it's a junk, you should not sell it to anybody. You should fix it. I said, well, your brother is the mechanic, the elder. He fixed it, so you should know. She says, I don't know. That's the reason I call you. I don't have 10, 15, 20,000 to get a good one. All I have is 2,500. Would you give me the van? I know you paid 4,500. My brother told me. I know you paid another uh, 1,800 to fix it. I know all that. But all I have is 2,500. Would you take 2,500 give me the van? I said, listen, why do you want the junk? And she said, you preached that we need to surrender. And I want to surrender. And I want to serve God. And all I know how to do is, besides nursing, is to drive. And you said that there are many people that would come to our school that don't ever have a ride. Many that would come to church that don't have a ride. I want to drive them, but I have a little neon. And it's like Mr. Bean's car, you know, you just, no room in the car. And she says, I need a van. And I cannot afford to buy an expensive one. So I'm going to buy your junk and use it to drive people to church. Surrender it for God. My 2,500, all the money, all my savings, I'm going to give it to drive people to church. I said, but it's going to break. Pastor, don't worry. I give whatever I have and I need a van, so give me the van because I cannot afford anything better. I gave her the van. A few years passed by and after nine years I moved from that district and after another seven years, I was living from Kentucky, and I met her. I said, how are you doing? Good, how are you doing? And she says, you know, I'm still driving the van. <laughs> I said, I hate it. I mean, it broke several times with me, and it, it never broke for you. And she says, well, because I keep driving it for God. <laughs> we don't understand the meaning of surrender, do we? We talk about it, we sing about all to Jesus, I surrender. But we really don't surrender. Because to the degree that you surrender, to that exact degree, God takes over. He cannot take over what you don't surrender. He takes only what you surrender, and that's what God can use. So if you surrender little, he can use little. The more you surrender, the more he controls and he can use. And the reason we don't have results is because we don't surrender, so God is not in control. He is not in control. And it's easy to go to church and, and sing Kumbaya, but it's difficult to surrender. And that's the reason we don't have power, because you need to surrender. And the more you surrender, surrender is a lifelong daily process. The more you surrender, the more God can control you and transform you and use you. And then you have a story every day. You follow me? This is what Christians do. That's what the disciples did. That's the reason it took them 10 days in the upper room. Because they had hard time to surrender. Because human nature doesn't surrender. It took them 10 days of fear and, 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 and humbling themselves and praying together to eventually fully surrender and not care what happens to their life. Be ready to die. And that's when finally God could use them. And then, in just short time, God, Ellen White says literally, quote, turned, turned, they, she says, turned the world, you remember the quotation, upside down. When you surrender and you are filled with the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit controls you, you turn the world around you upside down. And the reason we have no miracles in our church, not that we should look for miracles. The reason we don't see conversions, the reason we don't, is because we don't surrender. And we go home and we say, oh, that was a good message. But then we don't surrender. Ezekiel says, son of man, my people go and listen to you as they listen to a good music. And they give lip service, but they don't. They are listeners, but not doers. They don't apply it. Therefore, it's not useful to go to church. Because if you go to church and go home and you have listened in a lifetime 2,000 messages or a million messages and you didn't change, why do you go to church? When you go to church and the Holy Spirit says something, you need in that moment to say, Lord, please do that in my life. I give you my consent, my permission, whatever it takes, regardless how much you are going to hurt me, please hurt me so I do that. Did you hear what I said? So tonight after you leave, after the message, what do you pray? Lord, I want to fully surrender. I know I cannot do it. Human nature doesn't like that. Would you please do that in me? I give you permission, it may hurt. And please remind me when I am hurting not to ask you to fix my hurt. 
It's like, Lord, give me patience. And then my boss bothers me, and then he doesn't. He's a wonderful man, I'm just saying. Or a neighbor bothers me, and I say, Lord, please solve this problem. And God says, didn't you ask for patience? How can you learn patience if nobody bothers you? You follow me? So, Lord, help me when you teach me the lesson, instead of trying to solve the problem, rather to grow to the problem. And to use the lesson that you sent to grow to the statue of less of Christ. And to fully surrender and to fully trust and to fully love. And to trust that you are working on me and through me. And not to fix your eyes on your problem, but to fix your eyes on Jesus. You follow me? Folks, our time is up. We didn't manage to go through the presentation and that's okay. This is one of the quotations that I told you about. Don't read, it, don't read it loud, but do read it, but fast. Just, I give you five seconds to read this page. <laughs> Keep reading. Please imagine what you read. Are you ready? Three more seconds. Ready? Listen carefully. Speaks to each child of humanity, declaring, It is for you! For you! For you! For you! For me! That the Son of God. For you! He spoils the domain of death. This is from love for you. For you, he became sin. This is heavy. Isn't it? Done? Now I want you to read, to read this. Have you so deep an appreciation of the sacrifice made on the Calvary that you are willing to make every other interest subordinate to the work of saving souls? The same intensity of desire to save sinners that marks the life of the Savior marks the life of every single true follower. The Christian has no more desire to live for self. He delights to consecrate all in the master service. He's moved by an inexpressible desire to win souls for Christ. Those that don't have that desire should be concerned for their own salvation. Amen, Isn't it powerful? <clears throat> we need to stop here. Our time is up long ago. I don't remember, I don't know. Do we have a meeting tomorrow morning or no? Yes, no, yes, no. How, no, no, how many meetings? How many times do I preach tomorrow? Two? Are you kidding me? So we can continue some of the slides. Listen, folks. I say it with honest respect and appreciation. I do believe with my whole heart that we are good people who love Jesus. Because if, you're not, if it was not so, you would not be here. You'd be home watching a movie. The fact that you are here says that you love Jesus. But it's not enough. You need to take another step. Jesus is coming soon. We really need to be serious about it. You don't need to worry how you will change. That's none of your business. Change, transformation, a new heart belongs to God. He does it for you. Pastor, I've been praying for two months and I don't manage to change. I said, how do you know? Because I don't see any change. Why do you monitor yourself? Who told you to keep your eyes on self? None of your business if you grow or not. Children do grow, but you don't see them growing. And children don't worry about, am I growing? You know? 
none of your business how growth happens. Your business is to seek the presence of the Lord daily. Your business is to be filled with oil, with the Holy Spirit daily. Your business is in the morning to surrender every day. Your business is to be filled with God. That's your part. God is going to grow you. And listen carefully now. It's not your growth that saves you. Your growth doesn't give you any merits. You can be here or here. Still you don't deserve heaven. The thief was here and Paul was here. Neither of them deserves heaven. Jesus gives you salvation as a gift. Therefore, don't be concerned about growth. Be concerned about relationship. You should desire growth. But relationships, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Very simple, very clear. He who has Christ has life. He who has no Christ has no life. Very clear. Your concern is to be in him, to abide in him. Growth is his concern. And if you die, God forbid, or Jesus comes, and you have grown only so much, doesn't matter, because if you are in Jesus, you are saved. You may have grown so much. If you are not in Jesus, you are lost. Because it's not your growth that gives you heaven. But it is Christ who gives you heaven. And as long as he's in you, and he's working on you, you are okay. Like the thief on the cross. He was not grown by any means. But he wanted Jesus. And because of that, Jesus said, I promise you that you will be with me in heaven. That's comforting, isn't it? So your duty is to daily call the presence of the Lord. The Bible says, he who calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's pretty clear. Isn't it? Your duty is to call the presence of the Lord. His duty is to grow you and to use you and to develop you and to save you and to transform you and so on and so forth. He will do his job faithfully. He will finish what he started. You need to do your part. So make it a goal more important than job, more important than health, more important than life. To seek the presence of the Lord continually, daily, every moment, not one second disconnected. Abide in Him. Because that's the key. The more you are in Him, the more you'll be transformed. The more you fix your eyes on Him, the more like Him. Because whatever your mind beholds, that's what transforms your minds. That's what you become, what you behold. People ask me, how can I change this habit? Don't try to change the habit. Yes, we should hate sin, but you'll never manage to change the habit. You don't change the habit by changing the habit. You change the habit by fixing your eyes on Jesus. Basically, you don't get something bad out of your brain. You put something good. You put Jesus, and he kicks out the bad. You follow me? You don't have the power to change or to save yourself. But Jesus does. And he will not fail. That's the reason. You need to fix your eyes on him. You need to call his presence. You need to be in him. You need to walk with him. You need to depend on him and learn him, know him, and then you trust him, love him, because he is everything. Jesus. You follow me? Let's finish tonight singing together. Sandy, would you help me? Old, and the, 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 the organ player lady, I don't know her name. <laughs> All to Jesus I surrender. Make it your prayer. Let's sing. I'm not going to sing. My voice is not good enough. Um, Annalise, Gary.
tonight to daily surrender, I would like to invite you to commit yourself now. Come forward. If you don't have room, stand up wherever you are. And let's, while they continue to sing, let's pray together and really fully commit that we are going to surrender daily regardless the cost, joyfully trusting in His power and love. Come forward. Let's make a fresh decision. You know that we cannot do it in our human power. You do know that we do want it, but we don't even know what exactly what we want because there is a war in our body, in our nature, in our brain. So please, Lord, we now make a fresh decision. We surrender, we give ourselves to you and ask that you would work regardless our uh, will tomorrow or Tuesday or whenever. Please, we give you permission to work in us. Remind us daily to each one that is here. Remind us daily to surrender again. Fill us daily with your spirit. Help us to seek you more than we seek anything else. Help us to make you the center, the priority, everything in our life. You know every heart. You know every need. You love us. Please, Father, fill us with your spirit, we pray. And Father, after we finish, and tomorrow morning, and after we finish tomorrow, don't let us just go home and forget. But rather go home and keep growing in you. Keep fixing our eyes on you. Become a blessing for others. Help others to see your love. Give others this amazing news. Jesus is coming soon, and we want to see him, and we want to say, this is our Savior. We have been waiting for him. So, Father, we want to have the joy of spending eternity with you. Therefore, we seek you. Please, come in our hearts. Come in our families. Come in our churches. And through us in our communities. Help us to represent Jesus. Father, we cannot do this. But we pray in Jesus' precious, powerful name, in his merits alone, based on your promise. And we believe that you are working, that you are happy that we pray this prayer and you say, yes, I am working and I will do greater things that you can even imagine. And in faith, Father, we thank you, we love you, we praise you and we all say, Amen. Amen. I surrender.